Talk Radio's red-headed stepchild. Solace Radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before. As we talk about survival, preparation, and, you know, when I say the word survival, people occasionally get a little goofy with that because uh, it, all the things that it brings up in your mind, well, in the in the course actually defines survival. And I want you to, to think with me for a minute that the opposite of survival is that you're dead. Okay, by definition, the very fact that you're here today means you're a survivalist. You have survived life until this point. So it's not really a bad word if you really look at it. But in order for us to, to set the stage for this, yes, we'll be talking, uh, I'm going to be talking through the seminar about spiritual, emotional, and physical. But unless we deal with the spiritual aspects of it, nothing else really matters. We have to make sure that our lives, our lifestyle, everything that we're doing is in line with God's Word first before we deal with anything else. So the journey to preparation is starts with a first step of the spiritual walk. And this is where we must kind of retrain our thinking to get out of the American mindset. You know, we live in a democracy. I was talking to someone yesterday about this, that we live in a democracy, and so we start to read the Scripture like it's a democracy. It's not. And in the, in the millennium, we're not going to have a democracy. We're going to have a theocracy. It's going to be one person in charge who is God himself. He will be seated on the throne in a natural temple, in a natural Jerusalem, and you're not, yours and mine opinion really don't mean anything. You know, if we look at the word God and we look at the word good, there's only one difference between those two words. It's an O, which I think might stand for a man's opinion. So when it comes to the word of God and our spiritual preparation, our opinions really do not mean much. And we need to lay down our opinions, as Moses said, when <clears throat> the children of Israel in Deuteronomy were about to cross over into the promised land. Moses said to the children of Israel, you have lived according to your opinions on this side, but you're going to have to take up a new way of life in the promised land. If we're going to enter into the full promises of God, we're going to have to lay down our way of thinking. We're going to have to lay down, well, I believe it's this way, and we're going to have to take it up. As the literal Word of God tells us, this is how we are to do things. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the Torah today, and we're going to see how important the Torah really is to God. If you don't know what the Torah is, it's if this is kind of a, a new word to you or one that you're not real familiar with, I have a whole series, it's about five hours, called The Living Torah. that explains what is Torah and what would life be without Torah, what Yeshua's opinion of Torah is, what the disciples' opinion is, and Yeshua didn't have an opinion. He had a statement, right? So... And since the disciples were walking under the inspiration, they didn't have an opinion either. They had a statement regarding it. So that's a good series if you want more on that. But I want you to just today, we're going to see how important the Torah is. And that maybe man's traditions about the Torah have caused us to come to some uh, a little different teaching than maybe what God would like us to have. Before we go to that, though, I want to very clearly say to you again 
that when we talk about preparedness, when we talk about the last days, when we talk about His coming, when we talk about all these things, again, spiritual preparedness must be the number one thing. And there's a scripture, not in the Torah, but in the Brit HaDashah, the Renewed Covenant, that I'd like to take you to, and that is Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. In this verse, I believe that if we keep this verse as a focal point for us, all the way through this message and this whole seminar that I'm doing, that this verse will keep us on track. The verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 is this, to know Him and the power of His resurrection. If everything that we do in our lives has the focus of this, that we would know Him, then I believe that we're going to stay on course pretty well. For see, as John chapter 14, verse 9 says, when you have seen me, and in Hebraic thought, that would have been, that would be when you have known me. When you've known me, when you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. You've seen the fullness of who He is because of the manifestation of who I am. And then Yeshua goes on to tell us in uh, John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to be throwing these scriptures out. You can write them down, check the reference for later, and also check the context of these scriptures to make sure that I'm telling you what is actually true. Read the verses above. Read the verses below. Don't allow me to just throw one thing out, and then you just take that and run with it and say, well, that's what Mike said. You go back and check these scriptures out. Yeshua said, though, in chapter 14, verse 15 of John, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, what are the commandments? I think this is where uh, people have kind of gotten a little off course because we've been under this understanding that this is the uh, the Jew book and the new book. One of the purposes of Yeshua, besides our redemption through His blood, was to come and say, Okay, guys, you've been having a little hard time with these commandments that I gave to Moses. I've sent prophets, I've sent these others, but I just had to come and show it to you myself. You know how it is if you're a a parent with a child and you tell them something, and you tell them again, and you tell them again, and they go, I'm just not getting it. So what do you do, slap them? You shouldn't. What do you do? Say, well, just forget the whole thing. That's not the way to do it. It's not what God did. He said, you're having a little hard time. I've told you a few times how to do this. You're still having a hard time. I'm just going to come down there and show you. And that's what Yeshua was doing. is teaching us how to live according to the Torah. If you love me, keep my Torah. We could translate it that way very easily. I've said many times, if you're having a problem with commandments, according to John chapter 14... It may not be an obedience issue, it may be a love issue. You know, if you're married, if you've been married for a while, I've I've now got about 26 years, I think it is, something close to that. I uh, wasn't planning on adding real fast in my head there. It's about 26 years that I've been married, and I've found out that some things about marriage that when you are absolutely, totally, and completely in love with a person, it's real easy to do things. 
It's real easy to do what they like and not do what they don't like. But it's when we allow that gulf to kind of, that little chasm to happen between us, that all of a sudden, you know, I know what she likes me to do, but I just don't really feel like doing that today. Same thing holds true in our relationship with guys. See, a couple of you smiling pretty good. A couple of you guys are trying to. But the same thing happens in our life with God. That when we really fall in love with Him, when He says to us, honor the Shabbat, delight in the Shabbat, this is how you're to eat, this is how you're not to eat, all of these things, you go, that's wonderful, thank you. But when we allow that chasm to happen a little bit, that's when we have the problem. Obedience to what? If you love me, keep my commandments. The commandments are the Torah. So how important is the Torah really to the heart of God? I want to take you through a, a kind of a... I'm not going to be hitting every scripture today. That's absolutely impossible to do in the in the time frame that we have right now. We could spend days and days and days searching the scripture, finding out the importance of the Torah to God. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, if you can imagine, kind of a, a chain, a, a daisy link type of a chain. But this chain is not a chain that is the, the each one of the uh, the links is 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 welded together. But this one is kind of like a bunch of carabiners. If you you know anything about mountain climbing or things, carabiners have a little snap in them, so you can unsnap it and you can put another one in there if you want to. So this is the kind of chain I'm going to give to you today. That this is the chain I've I've formed. But I want you to take this chain from this point. And then I want you to be able to look in the Scriptures. Maybe you're going to take one of those out and kind of toss it to the side. And maybe you'll put your own in there. But you're going to take that so that you can then use this in order to explain to other people that are having a little bit of a challenge with your way of life. Is that a good way to say it? A little challenge? <laughs> That's easier than some of the, saying what we've really gone through, many of us. But this is, I want you to own this at the end. So I want you to either take notes or you can mark in your scriptures or whatever. And then you take it and you study it out. And then you make this chain into something that you can use to explain to people. Well, the first place we're going to go to is Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to start in, uh, in verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, and I'm using a complete Jewish Bible. Uh, it's about the, for me, it's a, it's a good translation since I don't speak Hebrew yet. Adonai, God, took the person and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. Adonai, God, gave the person this order. You may freely eat from every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are not to eat from it because on the day that you eat from it, it will certain it will become certain that you will die. You know that's Torah? Because the meaning of the word Torah is instructions. So God gave to Adam and then to Eve basically two instructions of Torah. Eat, don't eat. Sounds like a pretty reasonable thing, you know? You can eat of that tree. I don't want you to eat of that tree. Of course, Eve's opinion of this was, it won't hurt anybody. <laughs> And for 6,000 years, we've been living under the curse of disobedience to Torah. You wonder how things would be different today 
if Eve had said, you know, God said, don't eat of that. I don't need to put my opinion into this. Now, I'm not down on Eve. I'm not down on Adam, not down on Eve, because the Hebraic uh, commentaries that have been passed down, I don't know if they're true or not, because I'm not that old. So, I wasn't around during that time. But there are some that say that Adam and Eve made it in the garden for seven years before they fell. My question is, I'm not sure if I'd have made it that long. So, I'm not really down on her. I just would like to use an example of how our attitude says, well, you know, I know what God said, but it won't hurt anybody if I break the commandments. Well, if Eve had done things different, things may be different today. Well, I want to take you all the way over now to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Revelation, then back over to Isaiah, actually. Deuteronomy chapter 30, in uh, verse 15, that's where we're going to start reading. Look, I am presenting you today with on the one hand life and good, and on the other death and evil, in that I am ordering you today to love Adonai your God, to follow his ways, to obey his instructions, regulations, and rulings. For if you do, you will live and increase your numbers, and Adonai your God will bless you in the land you are entering in in order to take possession of it. What he said to the people is this, Torah is your life. There's a song by some friends of mine, Lenny and Varda Harris, that is the song, Torah is Life. And then they do another song that says, I choose life. We're kidding you earlier that uh, we have this kind of little chasm in the room today because of the camera in front of us, and that we have the, uh, the, the amount of blessing over here and the amount of cursing over here. And nobody moved, you know. I'd, I, I would have gotten up and moved, I think, but that's okay. Uh, so there is, just like it is in here, you have a choice of which side of the room you want to sit in. And when it comes to the Torah, we have a choice whether to choose life or to choose death. I won't curse, I won't put that on you guys, but we have that choice. And throughout all of Scripture, Joshua said, choose this day who you're going to serve. What was he saying? He said, choose if you're going to serve the Torah. That God, through the Torah, you're going to choose your own way of doing things. It's a choice that we have today whether to choose life or to choose death. Back up a couple of verses. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, Moses says, For this mitzvah, or these instructions that I am giving you today, is not too hard for you. It is not beyond your reach. Now, how many have heard, or maybe you said this, We've been taught this through the years. Well, the Torah is too hard for us to do. There's a whole doctrine that says that the Torah is too hard, so Yeshua came to tell people that it was too hard and you no longer had to do it anymore. Well, if that doctrine is true, then either Moses misinterpreted what God said, or God lied. I would rather say that the Word of God is true. And when he says, these commandments are not too hard for you, I'll just take that. This morning, we got up early, decided that we'd uh, run by McDonald's. We walked up there, had a choice. 
looking at the menu, and we all said, uh, it was kind of funny, actually, because we got uh, Todd and Maria, and we got the kids there, and we one after another walked up and said, I want, uh, you know, uh, sausage biscuits, hold the meat. Egg McMuffin, hold the meat. And every one of us, you know, hold the meat all along the way. And you know what that guy said behind the counter? You can't do that. I'm not going to allow it. If you come into this McDonald's, you're going to have to eat that piece of Canadian bacon. I'm going to come over and shove it right down your throat if you don't eat it. <laughs> Was it really hard for us this morning? Did you have a difficult time? It didn't look like you were having a tough time eating that. You say, well, that's ridiculous. So is our theology. These commandments are too hard for us? You mean resting on Shabbat is too hard? People say, well, Shabbat is, that's taking that day off as bondage. Yeah, right. I, very good. Amen. Yeah. I like that one. <laughs> it's a smart kid. Whose kid is that? I thought so. Taking a day off is not bondage. I think working seven days a week is bondage. Taking a day off is freedom. So we've been lied to. What are we doing? We're walking out of those lies that we've inherited today so that we can walk in freedom. Well, it's not too hard for us if we'll just change the way we look at it. And then over in Deuteronomy chapter 33, starting in verse 2, he says, Moses says, Adonai came from Sinai, from Seir he dawned on his people, shone forth from Mount Paran, and with him were myriads of holy ones at his right hand was a fiery law for them. He truly loves the peoples, all his holy ones in your hand, sitting at your feet. They receive your instruction. The Torah Moshe commanded us as an inheritance for the community of Yaakov. Now, I don't have to go in, I don't have time to go in the whole teaching that says that you are part of the community of Yaakov, but you are. Ephesians chapter 2, Romans chapter 11 says you're adopted in, you're grafted in. Where? Into Israel. I'm not talking about the land right now. I'm talking about the family of God called Israel. And if you are a believer in Messiah today, you have been grafted into a family called Israel. A family that's represented by the community of Jacob, the twelve tribes. And he says that the Torah is your inheritance. Now, many of us have been taught that the land of Israel, that we will one day live in the land of Israel. I believe that. I believe that the land of Israel is a place that it will be the inheritance for the people of Israel. But there is a dual inheritance here. It's not just the land. It is also the Torah that is your inheritance. Now, has anybody ever received an inheritance from someone? This means yes. Okay. This means, okay, this means not yet, this means no. Uh, I have, I've been, I've had a couple of grandparents that have died. Now, I, I grew up, I, I didn't, my father died when I was very young, my parents were divorced, that's another subject not going into. But my granddad really was the, the man in my life. And he never knew that there were things like uh, footballs and basketballs and golf. I doubt if he ever watched one single sports game in his whole life. In my home, growing up, 
with my granddad, we had two seasons. We had hunting season and fishing season. That was our two seasons. And so I spent my whole time, really, in the woods when I was growing up. Well, my granddad had a 19... Now, I'm going to make some of you guys drool. He had a 1928 Winchester Model 12 shotgun, 30-inch barrel, full choke. And that was granddad's gun. And it was just as much a part of him as his right hand was. And I used to sit for hours on the couch in front of him, and he'd tell me about all the hunting that he had done the deer he had killed, and all of those different things. As a young child, I said they're just mesmerized by these stories. And it all had revolved around this 1928 Winchester Model 12. And I looked at that gun, and I saw it there, and I respected that, I, I grew to respect that gun as much as I respected him, because it was that much a part of him. And he'd say to me, occasionally he'd say, Michael, because my, my middle name, I go by my middle name, and it's spelled M-I-K-E-L-L. People say it's a different spelling. Yes, it is. It's his last name. And I actually, what, I'm not actually his blood grandchild, but he was my step-grandfather, but he kind of adopted me in just as if I was his. So I understand these principles. They say, Michael, when I die, that shotgun's yours. I remember the first time that he said, as we got to our place to hunt, and he said, hand me my gun. I remember looking in the trunk and seeing it there, and almost could not reach down and touch it, because it had been something that had become so much a part of him, and the two were inseparable to me. Well, when he died, all the cousins came to the house, and we read the will, and the little bit of money that he had was to be split says all of our possessions are to be sold or whatever is split between the five cousins. But my Winchester 12-gauge shotgun is to be given to Michael. And so I had the distinction of taking that gun from that moment on. People have offered me about five times its worth. It's not for sale. You know why it's not for sale? The cash that he gave was gone. It's been gone a long time. But the possession that I have that reminds me of him is still in my possession today. And it's not for sale. Because my inheritance is not for sale. And that should be our attitude when we look at the Torah and we see that the Torah is our inheritance. My inheritance is not for sale. That's why when it comes to the things of Torah, we do not live by convenience. We live by conviction. For when I say, well, God will understand, what have I done? I've sold my inheritance. When I say, well, I know what God says, but I've sold my inheritance. Like you go on record this morning by making a decision, your inheritance is not for sale. Well, let's move on. In Joshua, Moses has died. Joshua is taking over. In Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 6, Be strong, be bold. 
For you will cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers I would give them. Only be strong, be very bold, and taking care to follow all the Torah, which Moshe, my servant, ordered you to follow. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Then you will succeed wherever you go. Yes, keep this book of the Torah on your lips and meditate on it day and night, so that you will take care to act according to everything written in it. Then your understanding will prosper. You will succeed. Haven't I ordered you? Be strong, be bold. So don't be afraid or downhearted because Adonai your God is with you wherever you go. The first thing that God says to Joshua prior to entering into the promised land with the children of Israel after the death of Moses is this. Do not allow yourself to turn from the Torah. Do not turn to the left. Do not turn to the right. But meditate on it day and night so that you will prosper in this job that I have for you. The Torah will keep us on the right path. Yeshua talks about a broad path. And then He talks about a narrow gate. How will we enter into a narrow gate? It will be because we did not turn to the left or turn to the right from the instructions that He has given to us. We will succeed in walking through whatever God has for us in the future. So the Torah will direct us to His full promises and keep us in those full promises. Well, let's turn over a few chapters, a few books, over to the book of Psalm. In Psalm 119, this is that one that you come to and you don't read it just in a couple of minutes. The longest book in the Bible, written by a man named David. A man that would later be called the man after God's own heart. Now I want you to... I'm going to give you some homework. Ouch. I'm, I'm a teacher. I, I got a couple of the, couple of kids, teenagers that kind of went, ugh, yuck. I know. This is good homework though. Here's your homework. What I want you to do is if you have a complete Jewish Bible or a Hebraic translation, it's going to be very easy. All you have to do is read the book of Psalm 119. If you have a different translation, what I'd like you to do is read it But wherever it says law, I want you to translate, retranslate that word Torah. Now it's not going to be exactly accurate, but it's going to be pretty close. That most every place in the, in most translations that says law is actually the word Torah. You'll find that the word Torah in the complete Jewish Bible is in there 24 times in the book of Psalm 119. He says things like this. We're going to just kind of pick out a few. Psalm 119, verse 1. How happy are those whose way of life is blameless, who live by the Torah of Adonai. Pretty good place to start. Let's, let me just go through and see. I've highlighted a couple of them here. Um, in verse uh, 51. Though the arrogant scorn me completely, I have not turned away from your Torah. Oh, verse 97, here's a good one. How I love your Torah. It is so much bondage, I meditate on it all day. Well, I think I mistranslated that one, just seems you're awake. How I love your Torah. 
I meditated on it, on it all day. The man after God's own heart meditated on something that today people have called bondage. I'll get to that a little bit later on. Oh, 113. I hate double-minded people, but I love your Torah. What's he saying? If you do not follow, if you're not following Torah, it will cause you to be double-minded. Hmm. There's a few. Psalm 119, verse 136. Rivers of tears flow down from my eyes because they don't observe your Torah. How many of, how many of us have ever spent one moment weeping over the fact that people around us are not obeying his Torah? David did. He said, rivers of tears are flowing down my eyes because people are not obedient to your Torah. 142, your righteousness is eternal righteousness and your Torah is truth. Hmm. Verse 174, I long for your deliverance, Adonai, and your Torah is my delight. What, what, how did we possibly get bondage out of this? Maybe somebody has lied. Maybe the enemy has lied to us because he understands how important the Torah is to the heart of the Father. And he knows that if he can keep us away from it, he can keep us away from true freedom, a life in God. Let's go to Proverbs. These are a couple of fun ones. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 4. Those who abandon Torah praise the wicked. But those who keep Torah fight them. See that in our days, in our life today. Those who abandon Torah praise the wicked. There's just a letter sent out to the even, to President Bush by many evangelicals who have turned away from Torah. And the letter said this, we would like you to know that not all evangelicals support Israel, the Jewish people staying in the land of Israel. We would like you to know there are many of us out there that believe that you are doing the right thing in a two-state land. That the Palestinians do have a right to part of the land. And we will support you in splitting it down the middle. Those who abandon Torah praise the wicked. But those who keep Torah fight them. I can tell you that the denomination that I used to be ordained with, the national director of that organization was one of the signers of that letter. Somebody, a denomination that has abandoned the Torah of God has praised the wicked. So the next Monday morning after I got the email in order to fight, I called and said, please rescind my ordination." Because I will not have anything to do with an organization that turns its back on the inheritance that God has given me. Whether it be a natural land or the instructions of the Torah. Chapter 28, verse 9. If a person will not listen to Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. When did God put that in there? (laughs) Never seen that one before had people then that have looked at me and said, where in the world did that come from? Now I want you to read this verse real clearly. 
It does not say if a person will not listen to Torah, his prayers will not be answered or his prayers will be hindered. What it says is if you will not listen to Torah, your prayer is an abomination to God. When they put that in the Bible? I have my own theory on this. How many of you have ever read through Scripture a few times, you know, and then read it again and you went, when did God put that there? I've never seen that before. Well, I know what happens. I've figured it out. See, in the middle of the night, angels break into your home. And they go and find your Bible. Which is not too hard for most of them. It's right under the TV guide. I'll move on from there. (sighs) But they find that Bible under the TV guide and they get it out and they just start writing new verses in there. No, that's not what happens. The verses are here, but there's a timing for us to find them. There's a timing in each of our life for God to reveal things to us. I have many people that have started to walk this walk of Torah, and they've said to me, I wish I'd have seen this ten years ago. Yeah, I wish I'd have seen it earlier too, but you know something? It wasn't time. I wasn't ready for it. God reveals something to you when you are ready for it. For some, that verse, you've never seen it before, and this was your time for it to be revealed. Well, we're going to go to Malachi, and then we're going to um, go over to the to the Brit Hadashah. So the book of Malachi. Oh, I just messed up here. You know, I have a complete Jewish Bible. I pulled it out. Whew. That was one of those times I was starting to sweat a little bit. In the complete Jewish Bible, they have the books back in their actual, the way that they used to be. You know, there was King James changed the orders of some books, and then Jerome changed the order of the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah. And so it used to be that Malachi wasn't at the end. And so, you know, all of us, Malachi, oh yeah, just go to Matthew and take a left. Well, in the complete Jewish Bible, it's if you're wondering, it's on page 788. And I used to have it on my notes before I had them typed out real nice. I had it on my notes. I had page 788 or 789 here to the side. But when I did these notes, I didn't put that there. So I was about to start sweating to hear that I was going to have to, you know, here's the speaker, the the great Bible teacher, and I have to look in the index to find the book. (laughs) So (laughs) I found it just in time. Now, And I didn't have to tell you that, did I? But now it's on tape that I, I just, you know, I we're just human. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Remember the Torah of Moshe, my servant, which I enjoined on him at Horeb, laws and rulings for all Israel. Look, I send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of Adonai. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Otherwise, they will come and strike the land with complete destruction. Now, we've all heard the song, These Are the Days of Elijah. And we've heard message after message. In the last days, God is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. But how many of us have heard the message that the context of this, just before that 400 years of silence, is this. Do not forget the Torah of Moses. Why? Because the Torah of Moses will be your guiding light 
to show you who the Messiah really is. See, it's recorded that in Jerusalem, in Israel, during the time that Yeshua was on the earth, there were as many as a thousand people walking around the streets of Israel saying, I am the Messiah. How were you to tell which one it was? Who he was? Who the re- who's the real Yeshua? Will you please stand up? It was because you could look in the Torah and then in the prophets and the writings and find the prophecies that would just nail down his address and everything about him. The Torah would be the foundation to lead us to the Messiah. And I'd like you to at least consider today the possibility that if the Torah is what would lead you to the first coming, then the Torah will also lead you to the second coming. It will be our guide. This may sound like a very harsh statement, but I believe I can back it up as truth. If you are following today a Messiah that is not leading you to Torah, you may be following the false Messiah. And I'll say more about that in a few minutes. So the last thing that we're told is this. Hey, this is good. Just figure it out. Instead of going to Matthew and taking a left, now we go to Psalm and take a left. That's easy. All right. Last thing we're told is do not forget the Torah of Moses. Now let's go to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, the words of Yeshua Himself, if you have a many translations, these will be in red letters. That means it's important. That's how some people think. You know what I like to have sometime is a red letter Torah. That'd be cool. Actually, if we, if all scripture is inspired by God, shouldn't the whole thing be red letters? I mean, is there more importance to these words than these? No. It's all given by God. But in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, we have the actual, the actual words that were spoken by, by Yeshua. And he said this, don't think that I have come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. Hmm. If he said, if, if Malachi said, do not forget the Torah, and then Yeshua says, don't think I have come to abolish it, then why do people want to abolish it? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, let's look at the rest of it. I have not come to abolish, but to complete. Yes, I tell you that until heaven and earth pass away, not so much as a uter stroke will pass from the Torah, not until everything that must happen has happened. Has everything happened yet? I hope not. Not according to the way I see things. Which means that until that happens, we're not to even think this way. Well, what does it mean here? In order to understand the Scriptures totally, or, or more, none of us will ever stand to understand it totally. I love these books. You know, the complete book of prophecy. <laughs> right. There are... Uh, we need to understand a little bit about Hebrew idioms. Uh, I travel overseas. And when I do, I find it very frustrating, especially from the South. We have things that we say like, uh, you know, you're looking at me like a raccoon looking at truck headlights. I said that to a Filipino church one time, and they looked at me like a bunch of raccoons looking at truck headlights. And so I had to explain it to them. And so, you know, I use these these terms that, that most of us understand. I mean, here in Iowa, you know what that looks like, Okay. But uh, in Los Angeles, even, they don't know what that looks like. 
So you have to explain these things. Well, overseas, you really, it's tough. I find myself starting some idiom, and it's not possible to explain it. In order to explain an idiom, you have, in another language, you have to write a whole book about the word or the idiom. Well, in Hebrew, some people have said about 43% of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is Hebrew idioms. So if we don't understand some of these things, we have a little different, a difficult time in understanding what it's saying. You know, somebody comes from overseas and they, and you say, well, I'm feeling, feeling blue. And they say, you don't look blue. You know? Or, uh, they, 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 they think we're a bunch of cannibals. Well, just eat your heart out over this one. What does that mean? It's, it's kind of funny, you know, don't call the kettle black and we can go on and on forever with that. Well, if you understand Hebrew idioms, what does it mean to abolish the Torah? If you teach the Torah wrong, it is said that you've abolished it. But if it, you teach it right, it means that you have completed it. So what did Yeshua say? Do not think I have come to teach the Torah wrong, like the scribes and Pharisees have been doing, but I have come to teach the Torah the proper way. Okay, case closed. We can go on to the next scripture now. But do not think ever that he has come to abolish the Torah. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, he goes on and says, So whoever disobeys the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever obeys them and so teaches will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Notice that a person that is teaching the that is not teaching people to follow the commandments is still in the kingdom. Because in the kingdom is a matter of the blood of Yeshua and your faith in His atoning work. But then the Torah is the instructions of how to walk that life out. So we have to make the, the difference in our mind. And that's where some people get a little bit off on this thing. The Torah is not about your redemption. Your faith is about your redemption. The Torah is about your walk. Now, Yeshua says to us two different places. He does not tell us not to seek greatness. In fact, He says to us, if you want to be great in the kingdom, here's the first one, be a servant to all. The greatest people in the kingdom are going to be the ones that you never see. Because they're the ones that are normally back in the kitchen when everybody else is taking notes. They're doing their stuff. They're helping to serve us. The greatest in the kingdom will be those that came early and set out the chairs. And those that stay later to put the chairs back up. How's that for a commercial for help, brother? You can, the offering's right behind you, okay? Greatest will be those in the, that are servants. And the second part is this. If you want to be great in the kingdom, teach the Torah and obey the Torah. You know, I travel all the time. I, I'm on the road pretty constant these days. And starting next month, it's really getting crazy there for a while. I would hate to spend all of this time away from my family, all of this time on trying to be comfortable on an airplane, uh, driving in my car, all this, and then get to eternity, walk into the throne room and say, enter in, least in my kingdom. Oh, you're in the kingdom. Yes. 
but you're least in the kingdom. It's very easy to never hear those words. Be a servant, teach Torah, obey Torah. It's right there in the Word. Let's go over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 21. So Yeshua upheld the Torah. We see that Moses upheld it. Joshua upheld the Torah. The man after God's own heart upheld the Torah. Solomon upheld the Torah. Well, he did for a while. If he'd have kept doing it, his life would have been a little bit different in the end. It's when he turned away from the Torah that things got messed up for him. Malachi said that we are to uphold the Torah. Yeshua says that we're to uphold the Torah. So what did the disciples do? In Acts chapter 21, verse 20, on hearing it, they praised God, but they also said to him, You see, brother, how many tens of thousands of believers there are among the Judeans, and they are all zealous for the Torah. What were they living by? They were living by faith in Yeshua, and they were zealous for the Torah. You can't be zealous for the Torah if you're not living the Torah. They were living it out with a newfound freedom having been released from the bondage of man's teaching. That's what the bondage is. Okay, don't let, allow anyone to ever say to you that the Torah is bondage. I, I That's one that just, that one bothers me. When people say, oh, I don't want you to put me back under the law. I don't, I don't want to be in the bondage. I want to look at them and say this, how dare you? How dare you say that anything of bondage would ever come from the heart of my Father? I know what it's like to live a life before God. I know what bondage is like. And I know what freedom is like. And I've had people this weekend, I hear this all over. I never get tired of hearing this. I've had people come to me this weekend and say this, I have been living for God for many years. But since I have started to observe the Torah, I have never felt such freedom that I have felt now. I thank God for showing me that His Torah was not done away with, but His Torah is for me today. How dare you even think that something of bondage would come from the heart of the God that I serve. If you're serving a God of bondage, then you're serving the wrong God. You need to trade. You need to make a change in your life. They live by faith in Yeshua. Obedience to the Torah. I was having a conversation one time with my father-in-law, and uh, I was having a little fun. He doesn't quite understand what we're doing. That's okay. I've I've learned to accept these things. Uh, most of the time. <laughs> but uh, I, we were in my office and we were starting to talk about some of these things. So I turned in my Bible to Acts chapter 21, verse 20, and I read that verse and he said, let me see that. When did that get in the Bible? I've never seen... So I talked to him about the angels that break in in the middle of the night and start adding things to your Bible. Uh, it didn't really make a lot of difference in his life, but at least I got my point across for one time. So the disciples were living according to the Torah. Well, what did Paul say? You know, when we start talking about this, I hear it all the time, but Paul said, and and I I said this um, 
yesterday uh, in the uh, in a, I think it was on video. So if you're watching my video in this preparedness seminar, you're gonna hear this twice. Uh, but how many of you would like to to uh, in eternity would like to meet some of these people in the scriptures? You know, I mean, that'd be kind of neat. I think Noah is a good one. Persistence, you know, uh, Daniel. Uh, these these people were just these are heroes, literally. That's why they're recorded in the book of Hebrews, the Hall of Faith. Uh, but one of the ones is, you know, people want to say, well, I want to talk to Paul because I want to, I want to talk to him about some of the things he said. Well, you know, I'm not sure if, if all these guys, they're probably not going to have name tags, you know, like a conference. So I want to show you how, I want to tell you how you can figure out who Paul is. Paul's going to be the guy that's wearing the hat or the t-shirt that says, I didn't say that. Yeah, because the first thing that we hear is, "But Paul said," like Paul has become the Messiah. Literally, had somebody that told me this. This happened to them. This is a Hebrew roots teacher. A lady came and was was arguing about this, but Paul said thing, and she finally said to him, she, or he finally said to her, "Ma'am, if if you read the scriptures and there's something in there that Yeshua said this." And Paul said this, and the two seemed to contradict each other. Which one do you trust? She said, Paul. See, what we've done is we've allowed ourselves to build a, build a house based upon Paul as the foundation. Paul is not the foundation. The Torah is the foundation, and everything must line up with the Torah. And if it doesn't line up with the Torah, then there is a problem with how it is translated or how we have understood it. I have a video series, or a CD series, called Gentiles in the Kingdom. When you understand who Paul was writing to, the, the context, the, the things that were going on in that time, when you understand that, all of a sudden, Paul makes perfectly good sense. But when we don't understand that, when we think he's talking to a bunch of Americans in Cedar Falls, Iowa, we we have this way of misunderstanding his words. Well, what did Paul say about the Torah? He said a number of things about the Torah, but here's one of those. I'd like you to go to Romans chapter 3, and uh, I'll preface this verse, Romans chapter 3, verse 31, and I'm going to say it like this, but Paul said... Does it follow that we abolish Torah by this trusting? Heaven forbid. On the contrary, we confirm Torah. How do you confirm Torah? If you're not doing it, you're not confirming it. But he's saying very clearly, we, it does not follow that we abolish the Torah, that we teach it wrong, that we do away with it. But when we trust, we're actually confirming the Torah. How? By our walk. See, Paul never spoke against the Torah. Oh, okay, yes, he did. I'll admit, I'll give in. Paul said the Torah was done away with. Well, according to the words of Yeshua, he's now the least in the kingdom. Why would I listen to him? Yeah, say that again. Yeah, he said it backwards. Wow, whoa. See, if we just, all we have to do, what I'm doing is I'm giving you, I gave you another carabiner in your chain here, okay? So next time somebody said, well, Paul said that the Torah is done away with, 
You say, but Yeshua said that He's now the least in the kingdom. Why are you listening to Him? All we have to do is understand the, the message of one book from Genesis to Revelation, and then we can just turn right around in love and fun, kind of throw these things back. Because you know something? The people that are saying, but Paul said, are doing just what you and I used to do. They're not thinking. They're just spouting out what's been put in. But what are we doing? We're reprocessing these words. Alright. Um, let's go over... Oh, there's so many I could do here. Uh, this, this list, by the way, is in our preparedness workbook. Uh, let's go to 1 John. I love this one. I just, I saw this one, uh, just recently. The angels put it in my Bible. 1 John, little John, chapter 3. While you're turning there, I'm gonna, a little bit more energy drink here. I know in the seminar I say that those things are bad for us. I don't drink them all the time. So, don't do as I do, just do as I say. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. First John chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 3. Yeah, let's go to 2. Yeah, 3. And everyone who has this hope in Him continues purifying himself since God is pure. Everyone who keeps sinning is violating Torah. Indeed, sin is violation of Torah. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and that there is no sin in Him. So no one who remains united with Him keeps sinning, continues sinning. Everyone who does continue sinning has neither seen Him nor known Him. Hey, I, I want to I do a little translation work here. Let's, we don't have to get to Greek, Aramaic, or Hebrew. Good thing, because I don't know any of those. Still working on English. But let's allow the Scripture to interpret the Scripture for a moment, okay? Everyone who keeps sinning is violating Torah. Indeed, sin is violation of Torah. So here's our definition of sin. Violating Torah, right? We, we agree on that. So now let's read the verses again with our definition. Allowing the Scripture to speak to the Scripture. Everyone who keeps sinning is violating Torah. Indeed, sin is violation of Torah. You know that He appeared in order to take away violation of Torah, and that there is no violation of Torah in Him. So no one who remains united with Him continues violating Torah. Everyone who, continue, who does continue violating Torah has neither seen Him nor known Him. Folks, I don't know about you. That's scary. That's scary right there. Everyone who continues violating Torah, once it's been revealed to them what they're doing, but if they continue on, and say, hey, I don't want to have anything to do with that. According to 1 John, it says they have never, neither seen Him nor known Him. That's a very sobering set of verses to me. See, the disciples understood what was happening in their day. 
They understood what was going on. In fact, Paul knew very well what was going on when he wrote... I'd like you to go over to um, 2 Thessalonians for a moment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is restraining, so that he may be revealed in his own time. Who is the he? The pseudo-Messiah, the called the Antichrist. For already this separating from Torah is at work secretly. But it will be secretly only until he who is restraining is out of the way. Then the one who embodies separation from Torah will be revealed. The one whom the Lord Yeshua will slay with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the glory of his coming. Paul saw that in that day, there was a work that was being done secretly within the congregation of early believers to separate the early congregation from the Torah. Why is it that it happened? You know, we go back to the book of Acts, chapter, uh, what was it, chapter 21, verse 20. And it says that they had faith in Yeshua, and they were obedient to the Torah. They were zealous for the Torah. And what was happening? Todd, Peter's shadow was healing people. You have said that to me probably ten times this weekend, this short weekend. This guy has got an absolute desire to see the shadows of people heal folks again. I love it. That's the power these people were working in. This is what, this was normal occurrence in that day. For, for them to walk along and say, hey, don't have any cash today, but get up and walk. That's cool. I like that kind of stuff. And this is what they were walking in was the power of God. So why would the enemy come in to take the Torah away? Because if he took the Torah away, he knew that the power of God would also be taken away. I want to say something to you that I don't want you to misunderstand. Now, somebody's going to misunderstand this. But try try to interpret what I'm saying. Try to understand this that I'm trying to say. It may not be your problem with interpretation. It may be my problem with communication. Okay? But when we have words going from one person to another person, there's this gap between us, and somehow, sometimes things get mixed up. Okay? With that said... Satan is not as concerned about your salvation as he is about your lifestyle. Because if he can keep your lifestyle away from the Torah, if he can keep you out of that freedom, then he will keep you away from the power of God flowing through you. And he's willing to give you up. He'll give up one to the kingdom of God, that you're saved. You have salvation. He'll give up one in order so that you won't affect the multitudes with the power of God working through your life. That's why he desired, and he did a pretty good job, of taking the Torah away from the early congregation Because in doing so, he would also be able to take the power away from the early congregation. And then they would be wandering around, kind of hopeless and helpless for many, many years. But that 
is going to change. And that's the exciting thing today, is that today we are seeing the change. See, for about 1,700 years, there have been many people that have talked about prophecy. They've, they've tried to figure out the, the, the beast of Daniel. They've tried to figure out the, uh, you know, the head and the toes and the belly button and all of those different things. Counting this and counting that. They've looked at the earthquakes and the famines and the wars and the rumors of wars and Israel becoming a nation. All those things are important when it comes to prophecy. But most everyone out there has missed this one piece of prophecy that to me speaks louder than anything else from Genesis to Revelation concerning the the belief that I have today that we are in the last of the last days. What the rabbis call the footsteps of the Mashiach. The footsteps of the Messiah. What does that mean? That means if you stop and you become kind of quiet and you listen, you can hear His footsteps as He's approaching. We stopped there for a little while, couldn't we? Just camp there for a little while. But I'm not. There's a, there's a prophecy that hasn't been seen, but is now coming to pass in our days. Go to Revelation. Book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 17. The dragon was infuriated over the woman. I'm not going to go into a teaching of the woman. That's been done by many. I want to go to another place. The dragon was infuriated over the woman and went off to fight the rest of her children. Now then he defines who her children are. Those who obey God's commands, his Torah, and bear witness to Yeshua. A people of faith and a people of obedience. That group of people has not been alive for 1,700 years now. In order for the book of Revelation to be fulfilled, that group of people, once again, has to be on planet Earth. And today, you and I, sitting in a theater in Cedar Falls, Iowa, are prophecy being fulfilled. I don't know how how that makes you feel. It's pretty neat when you see your name in the book. I didn't need the Omega Code. I didn't need the Da Vinci Code. I didn't need the Bible Code. I didn't need any of those books written by any of those people to see my name in the Scripture. All I had to do was look right here and see that God is going to raise up in the last days a group of people that have faith in Yeshua and they are committed to obedience of Torah. And I get the awesome responsibility and privilege of week after week traveling this country and others looking at the faces of people that are fulfilling prophecy today. That's neat. That's neat. Well, to you people that are part of prophecy, let me give you an awesome word now of encouragement. Revelation chapter 20. This one's going to be one of those 
woe or wows that I'm going to get from Mark again. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and those seated on them received authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for testifying about Yeshua and proclaiming the Word of God. Those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hands, they came to life and ruled with the Messiah for a thousand years. I want to reread that now a little bit. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their faith in Yeshua and proclaiming the Torah of God. Mark, can I get a yippee on that one? See, your faith and your obedience today may cost you something. Today, I know what many of you have gone through because I've gone through the same thing. I know the, the names that some of you have been called. Heretic, Judaizer, all of that. I've, I've been called pretty much everything twice, at least. I was called anti-Semitic one time. Thought that one was interesting. I don't know. I, I'm not real concerned about those things. Doesn't even, it doesn't really bother me much anymore. I've, I've had to go through it so long. You know, I, I haven't been beheaded yet. That's pretty obvious. It may be, though, somewhere along the way, between now and the return of Messiah at the end of the tribulation time, between now and the millennium, it may be that some of you in this room would be called for the greatest sacrifice in order that you may uphold your faith in Yeshua, the one who has redeemed you because He gave His life for you. But because He gave your, His life, you've now given your life in obedience to Torah. But it may go even a step farther according to these Scriptures. It's just a word, folks. It's just a word. It's fun today. It's fun to learn how to blow a shofar and how to light the candles on Shabbat and how to do all of these things, but it may be a time that it's not quite as much fun. We're not here for fun. We're here for a smile on His face. I said to one of my children the other day, we were talking, and I said, uh, you know, the greatest thing in life is when you lay your head down at night and you look toward the heavens and you say a prayer, or as my youngest son, he said to me the other day, he said, Dad, you don't know this, but uh, a number of years ago you taught me the Shema. I mean, it's been years. He's 12 today. He's 12 right now. And he said, you taught me the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad, Baruch, Shem, Kavot, Malkuto, Leolam, Vayed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name and His glorious kingdom, both now and forever. He says, since you taught it to me, I've said it every night before I went to sleep. Pretty cool. I said to him, you know, I think it was him or one of the others, I can't remember. I said, you know, the greatest thing is when you lay down and you 
say goodnight to him or you say the Shema or whatever you're doing to think maybe today I've put a smile on his face and brought joy to his heart. And every moment of obedience does just that. And that's the way we should live. It doesn't matter if it's fun. There is some joy and some awesome experiences along the way. But life's not about me. Life is about bringing Him pleasure. Well, that's Genesis to Revelation. Let's go back just a little bit. and In uh, Isaiah chapter 2, What about the millennium? What about eternity? I actually get to Isaiah normally faster than this, but I'm just kind of thinking as I go. Isaiah chapter 2 says in the last day, verse 2, In the last days the mountain of Adonai's house will be established as the most important mountain. It will be regarded more highly than the other hills. All the Gentiles will stream there. Many peoples will go and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of Adonai, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about His ways, and we will walk in His paths. Hallelujah! Let's get the song going, you right? It's a good dancing song. That's why God put that verse in there so we could have a nice upbeat song to dance to. He will He will lead the Gentiles and they're going to learn His ways and walk in His paths. And that's where the verse stops. Nope. What are His ways? What are His paths? For out of Zion will go forth Torah, the word of Adonai from Jerusalem. For out of Zion will go forth Torah, the word of Adonai from Jerusalem. This is talking about the millennium, is it not? The Torah started, we start all the way back in Genesis chapter 2. We've gone through Genesis, we've gone to Deuteronomy, we've gone to Proverbs, to Psalm, to, uh, to Malachi, to Matthew, to Romans, to Acts. We've gone to the book of Revelation. We've gone to John, we've gone to Thessalonians. And now we've gone to the millennium. And the Torah is still there. So, I understand. What happened is that God said the Torah is good for 4,000 years, it's bad for 2,000 years, and then it's good for the millennium. That doesn't make a lick of sense where I come from. Because where I come from, we still read the Bible that says God doesn't change. Maybe man has changed. And the Torah was good for that 4,000 years, good for this 2,000 years, good for the next 1,000 years. And according to Isaiah chapter 66, it may be even good past that. Isaiah chapter 66, starting in verse 23, every month on Rosh Chodesh, the new moon, and every week on Shabbat, uh-oh, there's that Torah stuff. Every living creature will come to worship in my presence, says, says Adonai. As they leave, they will look on the corpses of the people who rebelled against me. For their worm will never die, their fire will never be quenched, but they will be abhorrent to all humanity. Wow. This is eternity. This is past the millennium. He says what? Shabbat, celebration of the new moon, 
The new moon is the first commandment given to the children of Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. Shabbat, the eternal covenant, all of it points us back to Torah. What is he saying? Torah is forever. Can you imagine getting into eternity and it's the seventh day? It's Shabbat? And somebody said, well, we don't do that anymore. Right. Well, God, I know what you said, but we've changed the day. So? I haven't changed it. (laughs) Let's take these things and think them through. So what do we do with this Torah? We bring this to some kind of an end. In Psalm 119, verse 11, God desires that His Word would be hidden, hidden upon our hearts. The, the, the Torah in my Messiah ben Joseph, Messiah ben David CD, I'm not actually trying to sell CDs here, but I can't say it all at one time. I talk about how the, the Torah's rightful place is not on these pages, but the Torah's rightful place is on our heart. And how I believe that through the work of Constantine and Marcion and many of the church fathers that the, the work that was done at the book of Acts, What made the disciples so excited again was that it wasn't just the filling of the Spirit. That was part of it. But the filling of the Spirit was this, that the Torah was being written upon the heart of mankind again. According to Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 32, I will make a renewed covenant with the house of Israel, which you're part of. And I will write my Torah upon your heart. So what was the renewed covenant all about? The renewed covenant, yes, is about a redemption through faith, but hey, Noah was, was saved by faith. David was saved by faith. All of these people, they were looking toward the, the Messiah. They were looking toward the, His execution. We're looking back. The same faith. One looking this way, one looking that way. We just know a little bit more. But everyone was saved by faith. The other part of it, though, is that the Torah would once again be written upon your heart, and that's something that Adam and Eve lost, was that the Torah was no longer inside of them. See, when they went, when they, when they were eating of the tree of life, what were they doing? They were eating of the Torah. They were, they were taking it inside of themselves. Last night, we uh, went to dinner, and somebody had brought one of my favorites, and if I'm ever at your house and you want to know what my favorite foods are, I'd be glad to tell you. But one of those is coconut cream pie. And somebody had a coconut cream pie. That thing was about this high. But I tell you what, I got over there and I cut myself a piece and it I, I internalized it. It was good too. See, many of us are settling for the Torah being out here when its rightful place is in here. And that's what the disciples got so involved and so excited about is because the Torah was being written on their hearts, which is where it was supposed to be in the first place. But when man turned away from the Torah, it's my belief that just as Moses broke the commandments before the children of Israel after the sacred cow, that the that man's traditions have made a sacred cow. And so God had, God broke it away from our hearts. And He said, the renewed covenant will be this. I'll write it again on your heart. So that's what the disciples were all about. 
And that's what's happening today again, is the Torah is being restored to our hearts. How do we do that? How, how do we, how do we take this book and make it a part of us? One of the ways that we do is, is to read it. To make sure that we, that we consume it. See, every year we go through a Torah cycle. And we read parts of the Torah every single week. Hope you, hopefully you're reading it more than that and you're reading other parts. But we read specifically the Torah and it's my prayer that God is, it's like a computer. God can't take out what he, what you haven't put in. So when I read it, I ask him to put it on my heart. So it wouldn't just be on these pages, but it would be a part of me, Cal. And about four years ago now, I catch Ardell. She's in the kitchen being a servant. She just, I was hoping she'd stay there just long enough for this, but she, uh, she's doing the servant thing, being greatest in the kingdom while we all sit, sit out here and wait for me to get finished. I need you to help me. You don't have to get on camera, but I want you to go over there or where's, where's your books? Get over there. If you don't want to be shown, just duck. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I got gotcha you on camera. About four years or so, I um, I teach through the Torah every year. And you can just set them up here if you'd like. You don't have to get up here unless you want. Come here. This is off camera. I'm I. Okay, here's, where's the edge? I can't hardly see my monitor. Stay out of that realm. I was hoping I could grab her, okay? But, uh, this is about four, was it four years ago, I guess, as I was teaching through the Torah, I came to a verse in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 18, I think it said, it is. And it said, you are to write the, it said the king is to write a copy of the Torah in their own handwriting. And I, I stopped there and I thought, you know, what's good for the king is good for the dominion. So I wrote a Torah commentary and I said that I think that it would be a good idea for people to write the Torah. And so I put that out and my wife read it and she came up to my office and she said, so you going to do it? I said, do what, honey? <laughs> she says, you going to do what you're talking about? I knew exactly what she was talking about. I said, yeah, I guess I have to. Because see, if I tell you to do something and I don't do it, that calls me a hypocrite. I don't like those kind of words. So we went and got a bunch of notebooks and some pens and stuff, and I started writing the Torah. And it's been interesting as I've traveled all over, uh, and I have emails coming from all over the world now. How many people have taken on this challenge to write the Torah? I have a, some folks up in Canada that homeschool. And they make as part of their homeschooling. Their children write the Torah out. Now, I sure wish I'd have done that. But, uh, I, I, I get people from all over that email me and call me and I see them on the road and they say, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm writing the Torah and I, it's amazing what I've seen. I never saw it. It never came alive like it has. And I know the feeling. Well, I was here in, in, I was in Cedar Rapids. What was it? Was it last time I was here or the time before that, I think? And Ardell came walking up to me and she says, I, I've got to share with you something. She said, I read that email that you sent out and she said, I, I thought I'd, I needed to do that. 
She said, but it never dawned on me that I could do it in English. She said, I didn't know Hebrew, but I decided that I needed to do this. And I just figured, well, the Torah was originally in Hebrew, so I'd write it in Hebrew. So she started writing. And uh, we've communicated a couple of times since then. And the last, when she was here, she, she handed me one of these and she opened it up. And I, I just want to show you this on camera and show you in the room. She's got such beautiful handwriting compared to my chicken scratch. But she taught herself how to write Hebrew. And it's incredible. It, maybe you can do this. Uh, maybe Argel will let you. And if you take your hand and you rub it over the letters, you can feel them. I'm in, I'm in, ex, I'm in Leviticus right now. Long ways behind you. But I remember when I got to the end of Genesis. And I wrote, I wrote, started to write those last words of Genesis. I remember the sense of accomplishment. I just, it was incredible. I just, I started to weep. And it was like I'd done something in life. Well, it wasn't too long ago that I received an email from Ardell. I don't receive a lot of emails. I, I send them all out every week, but not many people respond, and that's probably so that I won't get a uh, so puffed up that I don't fit through doors, you know. Um, and I appreciate each email that comes in, but this one was very special. It was just one of those days that I needed something. And Ardell sent me an email, and she said, I have to tell you what happened. She said, I've finished the Torah. She said, I came to the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And she said, I started to get close to the end and just the presence of God. And she said, I just started to weep uncontrollably that she'd come to the end of that. And it's right here. She brought him in. I walked in and she said, I have to show you something. There's the Torah that Ardell wrote. You know what I wonder? It says that Yeshua is the king, right? Torah observant Jew. Torah observant king. Which means, which means to me that either in his last, when he came the last time, or when he comes the next time, he either has written one or will write one. If he did, I wonder where his is. Or if he needs to a copy, maybe he could use yours. I don't know. Don't want to make light of that. But whenever I sit down in my office and I start writing the Torah, many times I pick up that pen, and I open the Bible, and I say, Father, would you please, as I write it on this paper, would you please write it upon my heart? And that's been some of the most special times that I've had, even in the book of Leviticus. Receive the Torah is very important to God. I believe that we've seen that today. From Genesis to Revelation, back to Isaiah, we've seen how important it is to Him. And it should be the same importance to us. Because the Torah is part of our inheritance. Don't ever let anybody take you away from your inheritance. 
Don't let this enemy steal your inheritance, but protect it. And when it comes to your life in the Torah, live a life by conviction, not by convenience, because my inheritance is not for sale. Turned off by religion and hypocrisy? Hate being preached to? Something missing in your life? You haven't been getting the whole truth, the whole Bible, and the Hebraic roots of the Scriptures. Get answers and treasures now on Solace Radio.